0: If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them out. Turn with me once again to the book of Acts and to Acts chapter 6. We're we we're continuing our expositional study of this book today, and we're going to turn our attention once again to a picture that Luke provides us of what was going on on the inside of the church. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, as we've, I haven't really made a big deal out of it, but if you kind of go back and you look at the text from chapters 1 through 6, you'll see that there's a pattern that sort of develops there that Luke uh, falls into when he, when he tells the story of the church and, and, and its beginning there in Jerusalem. He begins by telling us what was happening on the inside. In chapters 1 and 2, he really gives us a picture of, of what the church looked like as it was huddled together there in the upper room waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit and how they were devoting themselves to prayer and to studying the Word. But then once the Holy Spirit came and on the day of Pentecost, Luke turns our attention to what was happening outside. And he tells us how they went to the streets and began to proclaim the good news of the gospel. He talks about how Peter preached his first sermon and 3,000 souls came to know the Lord. We go on to see how they were ministering. The lame man who had been lame since birth is healed. Peter preaches another sermon. Many more come to know faith in Christ. But you'll also recall that in that outside look, that was when Peter and John were arrested and they were taken in and and, and tried before the Sanhedrin and told never again, preach in the name of Christ. But then Luke turns our attention back to what was happening on the inside of the church, because following their arrest and following those threats, he tells us at the end of chapter four that the church once again focused his attention on prayer and asking God for the strength and the boldness to continue facing that pressure and those threats of persecution because of their faith in Christ and their responsibility to declare that good news. And in that, in that same inside look is when we are also given a picture of the church sharing with one another. We get that wonderful picture of the example of Barnabas. But we're also told of Ananias and Sapphira and, and what, uh, the, 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 the terrifying story of how God judged them. But then the camera turns back out again, and, and Luke starts telling us about uh, how the apostles were ministering in the temple. And how folks from all over Jerusalem and surrounding areas were bringing their sick and bringing their diseased and bringing those that were demon-possessed into the temple and into the streets of Jerusalem and, and how those, those apostles continued to minister to them, but also how the gospel was continuing to be declared and preached. And all of this activity didn't go unnoticed, as you might imagine, by the religious leaders. They knew what was happening, and in fact, they arrested all the apostles and brought them before the Sanhedrin, and as we saw last week, they beat them severely and commanded them not to speak or preach in the name of Christ anymore. And that's where we ended up last week, again, with that outside look. What we look at today as we come to Acts chapter 6 is that Luke flips on us once again and turns our attention back to what was occurring on the inside of the church. And this alternating pattern that he's had, he, he brings our attention back to, to the inside and he provides us with a much briefer snapshot today but a necessary one nevertheless. In our text, we're going we're to read about how the growing pains of that first church there in Jerusalem necessitated the selection of seven men to come alongside the apostles in order to serve the needs of this rapidly growing church family. So with that introduction, begin reading with me there in Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read the first seven verses in your hearing today. Hear the word of God. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, being able to assemble here in this place together as a church family and to open the word of God and to read it and now... Father, I pray that you would bless our time of studying it and, and, and Lord, just give us open hearts and open minds and, and Father, allow your spirit to work in us. And I pray that in the process of that, that your son would be glorified, glorified through everything that I say. And, and, and Father, just help us today. We, we, we gather here and many of us have all kinds of activities that may be in front of us today, but Lord, there's nothing more important than for us to spend time Searching your word and allowing your Holy Spirit to speak to us. So I pray that, that all of those distractions would not uh, overcome us. But that Lord, that we would be overcome and overpowered by your Holy Spirit today. I ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So as you can tell there from your outline, I've entitled today's sermon, Growing Pains. And uh, that's, something, that's something we know a little bit about here at Ivy Creek. Um, you, you can't drive... On our campus right now, without seeing the evidences of our growing pains, um, there, there's all kinds of construction that's going on, and and you, as you well know, we're we're meeting here in this fellowship building today as a result of of our growing pains. And I wouldn't necessarily call what we're doing right now painful, but it is different. It's different from normal. We've we've had to adjust our 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 understanding and where we're sitting, and we've had to adjust. Uh, a number of things to get ourselves in here, and we're, we're packed in here pretty tightly this morning. Um, all the Sunday school classes, except for maybe one or two, have had to adjust where they meet. They've all had to go to a different location. Everything's been different on that end. Uh, we've all had to adjust. We've all had to learn to be flexible. And, and I just want to reiterate something that Pastor Ted has said repeatedly. Um, if you've gotten used to anything yet, don't because we don't know, we're, we're trying to be flexible with everything just as you are and, and, and trying to, to recognize what's going on. All that to say, we know a little bit of what, what it means to experience some growing pains. We're in the middle of some of those things right now. Listen, the church in Jerusalem knew about growing pains too. In fact, it was growth that created the pains that we read about in this passage that I just read for you earlier. In fact, that's how Luke introduces this passage there in verse 1. He says, now in those days when the number of disciples were multiplying, that just necessarily means they were experiencing growth. And, and so that brings me to the first point, just some hooks that I want us to hang our thoughts on as we move through today. The first, the first word that I've given you today is just this. It's the setting of this passage, the setting of it. Luke provides us with that inside look and at the church during which it was a time in which the church was growing rapidly. Remember back in chapter 2, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and as I mentioned earlier, 3,000 souls came to know the Lord on that day. 3,000. They moved from 120 that were meeting in the upper room to 3,120 in one day. And that growth continued. Later in chapter 4, we read that 5,000 men came to know Christ, And and the growth just steadily continued. In fact, we noted last week that that Luke eventually stopped counting. He stopped giving us numbers. And he just just tells us back in chapter 5, verse 14, that believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And and, and scholarship, as it looks back on this, says probably by that period, which many say could have been as much as three or four years by this time, had grown to the point where the church was about 20,000 people there in Jerusalem. Now, what was the cause of that growth? Well, certainly we can say that it was the movement of the Holy Spirit and a display of His power. He was certainly working at at opening people's hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, But we can also confidently say that the Holy Spirit worked through the proclamation of the gospel. I point you back once again to that key verse that I encouraged you to memorize From Acts chapter 1, it really serves as the outline and it gives us the understanding of the key that unlocks everything that we read about in Acts. It occurs there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus says to his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that verse gives us the key outline to what we've been reading about in this book all the way through. And what it tells us is that the Holy Spirit power that is then coupled with Christ-centered preaching produces gospel expansion and growth. That's really the equation that that verse tells us about. and It's what we've been reading about all the way through this book thus far. In fact, the final verse of chapter 5 that we looked at, the last verse that we looked at last week, makes it clear that daily in the temple... And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And then on the heels of that verse, we read the first verse of chapter 6. Luke says, now in those days when the number of disciples were multiplying. Now based upon that, just let me offer you what I believe is worth noting from what we've studied in Acts so far. Listen, while there may be many, many ways to draw a crowd, big, big lights, big names, big show, listen, the church of Jesus Christ is only built through people embracing the gospel of him crucified, resurrected, ascended, and coming again. People, people do that through repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the true building of the church. That is what I pray will continue to happen here at Ivy Creek. It is what Luke says was occurring there at the church in Jerusalem there in the first century. So that's the first hook. It gives us the setting. It tells us the background. It gives us the snapshot of everything that is taking place there in Jerusalem. And then it opens up for us, though, the next point that I want you to see, the next hook on your outline is this, it's strife. Strife, you see, growing pains. There we go. See, that's where it comes. In those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, let me just say to you, based upon my own personal experience, I am not surprised to read that this large influx of new converts brought about certain practical problems for the church. John Polhill, who has written a commentary on the book of Acts, he says this, in light of the considerable growth that the Jerusalem church community had witnessed, administrative problems naturally developed. Based upon what Luke tells us here, notice this though, there were two primary groups that made up the church there in Jerusalem. There were the Hebrews. Those were the Palestinian Jews. Those were the ones that primarily spoke Aramaic and, and studied the Old Testament in the original language of the Hebrew. And then you also, though, had the Hellenists. Do you remember when the church began to grow, it, it grew from people who had come to Jerusalem from all the surrounding areas And many of those had adopted the Greek-speaking nature of those areas. They spoke Greek because that was the primary language that was spoken throughout the world at that time. And so they spoke Greek. They used the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament, as their Bible. And so you had this this group of, of, of Jews who had come to faith in Christ who were very steeped in their Greek understanding of life. And then you had these Jews who had come to faith in Christ who were very steeped in their own Hebrew way of life. And so, as as Pole Hill points out, that continued growth added these new believers and these differing ethnic groups tended more or less to associate with those with whom they had the most in common. Uh, They associated with those who they shared cultural similarities and cultural backgrounds. And they even maybe kind of distanced themselves from others who kind of, they, they, they differed on their linguistic abilities to speak with one another. We would probably say it this way. clicks developed. Now, a certain amount of that's to be understood. A certain amount of that is, is, is explainable just by the fact that people have a natural affinity. Someone finds something that they have in common with someone else, and it just naturally draws them together. And as others tend to have those same things, they tend to form those little groups together the problem came and always comes when when bickering began to occur it should be noted that the hellenists those greek speaking greek cultured jews were well, they they were often ridiculed and resented by the hebrews the one who typically spoke aramaic They they ridiculed those Hellenist Jews because from their perspective, the Hellenists had adopted another culture rather than being true to their Hebrew identity. So their cultural differences began to create strife. But that strife bubbled over into a full-blown conflict when the Greek-speaking believers complained that their widows were being deliberately neglected in the daily distribution of food by those Hebrew-speaking Jews. Now, it all probably began with some behind-the-back whispering. Y'all don't know anything about anything like that ever happening. <laughs> Certainly not in a church. Behind-the-back whispering and talking and and things. Long, you know. Well, uh, you know, they said, and that's how it begins. But eventually, that that just blew up into a full-on complaint and it's it was a murmuring it was a grumbling that began to occur in fact the the greek word that's used there is one of my favorite greek words and 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 i just i like to use it it's the word gaguzmas that's what it means to complain and the reason i love that word is because it sounds exactly like what it what it is just g- gugouzmas, 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 gugouzmas. It's a complaint. It's an arguing against something. It's never used in the scriptures. It's exactly the same word in the Septuagint. It was used to describe what the, what the Hebrews did against Moses when they were out in the desert. They g- gugouzmasped against God. They complained against him. So that's what began to happen here. Now, let me point this out. To point out a problem is not a bad thing. Tony Merida points this out. He says, these Hellenist believers had every right to be bothered by the fact that their widows were being neglected in the distribution of food. They had every reason to bring that up. The problem came when their complaints went past rightly voicing their concern to wrongly assigning motive. See, they could not have known what was the meaning and the reason behind it, they falsely assumed that the reason that their widows were were lacking during the time of daily distribution was because the Hebrews were doing it intentionally because they didn't like them. Now, understand this. There was a problem that was occurring within the church, and we know that there was a problem because the apostles immediately began to address it. Nevertheless, I believe it is unfair of these Hellenists to assume that they knew why the problem came about. The reality is, as the setting of this passage makes clear, the sheer number of widows that needed to be fed had become overwhelming to the apostles. They simply could not keep up. I believe that kind of brings our attention to something that is a... a, a point of application that's just worth considering. You and I should be careful before we assign motive to someone. It may be fair to recognize a problem, but we must not set ourselves up as judge over someone else's motives unless we have clear proof of that motive. That's what we see happen here. So we've seen the setting... The setting is the church is growing, and and we've encountered the strife. The church is is experiencing growing pains, and obviously the, the apostles had their hands full. They were trying to administrate over something that had grown far beyond their ability to do. Their plate was full, and the pressing need of continuing to share the good news of the gospel with the lost world was was upon them continually, but they also had this extraordinarily large and growing church for whom they were responsible. And that leads me to the next hook on your outline that I think bubbles up from this text, and it's the word struggle. Struggle. I use the word struggle to describe what we read in verse 2 because it is obvious that the apostles were torn between all of those daily responsibilities that were pulling at them from those various directions. Luke tells us that, that, that there, the, the 12 were, that summoned the multitude of the church together, of the disciples, and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Here's what I mean by struggle. In an attempt to uh, assuage the, the Hellenists and settle the strife that had arisen within the church, the apostles were probably very tempted to solve the problem by devoting more of their time and their energies to the food distribution. That's where the complaint had come from. So the natural thought is let's give more attention and more time to that issue. They may have even said among themselves, all right, guys, look, what we've got to do is redouble our efforts. We've got to to work harder. We've got to work smarter so that we don't let this stuff continue to slip through the cracks. We've got to make sure that we get this done. But when you read verse 2, you realize that they came to understand that to do that would have required them to pull back from the primary responsibility that they had been called to, and that is to minister to these new converts and minister to the rest of their congregation through prayer and through preaching the Word. Effectively, verse 2 tells us that the apostles went before the assembled group of those disciples there in the church, and together they collectively admit, look, we can't do it all. The needs are too many for us to try to handle them all by ourselves. Now, it's important to note that when the apostles say that, listen, when they say it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables, they were not saying in any way that serving tables was beneath them. They They weren't saying that there was no need for tables to be served. Again, we have to be careful not to assign motive here. There is no hint that the apostles thought that they were too good to serve tables. The reality is, Table serving had been one of their primary responsibilities up to this point, And they had been gladly doing it. it they, they knew full well how important the distribution of food to those who needed it within the church, they knew how important that was. The issue at hand was not one of rank, it was one of Calling. And if the apostles devoted their time and energy to this growing church in areas that they had not been called, well then the area to which they had been called would suffer. And as a result, the entire church would suffer and would ultimately crumble. Furthermore, we we also must recognize that the apostles knew that if they only devoted their attention to the area of the ministry to which they were called, namely to prayer and to ministry of the word, but then ignored the social aspect of the church, the food distribution to the widows and those who needed it, then they also recognized the church would suffer and would crumble. The issue came down to priorities. While ministering the word and and prayer were absolutely necessary, so was the distribution of food to the needy within the church but the apostles could not do it all by themselves attempting to do so meant that something and likely everything would end up suffering so we've seen the setting we've encountered the strife the apostles have acknowledged their struggle and then in verses 3 and 4 we come to the solution the solution it comes in two parts The first is is what we read there in verse 3. The apostles tell the people, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, over the business of distributing the food to those who need it. The congregation was to seek out seven men who would assume the necessary role of, of ministering to the congregation, of, of serving them. Now, let me point out to you here that the word deacon is not used specifically here in this passage. However, a related form of that word in the Greek is used to describe what these men were to do. They were to diakoneo. That's the Greek verb that means to serve, means to minister. Incidentally, that's the same word that's used to describe what the apostles were to do of the word. They were to be ministers of the word. So, in the first part of this solution, we recognize that this vital part of this ministry, the distribution of food, would now have oversight given to it by this new group of servants, a group of men who were known to have had a good reputation, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, and, and full of wisdom. What, what does that mean? Well, to have a good reputation, that, that really means that they were to be known in the community and they were to be known uh, in the workplace as solid followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to be identified as those who sought to live in obedience to Christ without compromising with the world. Men that others would gladly emulate and follow. They were to be full of the Holy Spirit, which means they, they live their lives under the control of the Holy Spirit displaying the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, giving evidence of the Spirit of God leading them in their home life and in their their business lives. And that would mean men who walked in humility and who understood the grace of God. And they would also be full of wisdom, which obviously means they were to be wise. But I submit to you, you can't really be wise unless you are studied and, 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 and firmly grounded in the Word of God. So they had to know the Lord intimately through understanding the word that had been given to them thoroughly. They needed to be students of the word who ordered their lives based upon the clear teaching of Scripture. And they were willing to stand on the word of God in leading others. This this was who the church in Jerusalem, that was what they were to select. These seven were to be selected based upon that criteria. And those would be the ones that would be appointed to distributing the food to those who were in need. And I want you to know what those, those descriptions tell us is that these men, these men were not considered secondary leaders. These, these men were not just backups. They were leaders who were qualified and able to carry on the ministry of the church. These men were called to be deacons. They were called to serve the body of Christ. And that leads to the second part of the solution that the apostles proposed. Having gotten those seven together, we read it there in verse 4, they say, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The apostles would remain devoted to that which they had been uniquely called, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. Now, that's the second time in this one little short passage that the apostles have drawn the congregation's attention to the priority of ministry of the word. The first time was up in verse 2 when they recognized the danger in their being distracted from it, and here they reaffirmed their calling as ministers to it. And the apostles realized that they were not that they were not to be distracted from that which God had uniquely called them to do. And The presentation of the pure gospel was absolutely imperative, not only for the evangelization of the unconverted, but for the continued spiritual growth and discipleship of those who had been converted. Nevertheless, due to the multiplied growth of the early church, there were necessary demands and those needs had to be met. And so consequently, it was necessary for the creation of this new order of men who would cooperate with the preacher's of the Word by caring, for the, by caring for the new conditions that arose from this expanded growth within the church. And so this first organization of deacons was designed to set the apostles free from other necessary demands so that they could continue the ministry of prayer and of the Word. And then we read in verse 5 how the church responded to the solution. Luke says, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And so they chose Stephen, and they chose Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. And those were all, incidentally, most would point out that those were typical Hellenists' names. It was the Hellenists who had raised the, 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 the issue of the problem. These men primarily, most believed, came from those Hellenist areas and became that first group. So what that tells us is that the church realized the need, they recognized the reason, and they called these seven men to fill the responsibility. And then verse 7 gives us the results. Notice the last hook on your outline today. It's the summary. The summary. Luke tells us that the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of priests of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, based upon what Luke tells us here, we can conclude that the widow's needs were cared for, both the Hellenists and the Hebrews. We further know that the ministry of the Word of God was not forsaken. And both of those issues, as we've seen, were utterly crucial. A failure at either point would have meant disaster for the church. So the solution was... The diversity of gifts and calling, and it was a new kind of teamwork within the body of Christ. And the subsequent scene described by Luke shows that the church continued to grow. You notice how it started with, with, with growth at the, verse 1? In verse 7, it tells us that the church continued to grow. It met up with the issue that was at hand. It figured out, based upon how the Lord had led it, how to come to a solution for that, and then the Lord continued to bless the church, and it continued to grow. And then don't miss this. These are are the kind of things that excite me. (laughs) Don't miss the last phrase. You might blow right past it, not even think about it. And a great many priests were obedient to the faith. Well, now, what does that mean? Listen, the priests have not been painted in a very good light by Luke up to this point. In fact, if you go back to chapter 4, verse 1, you will find that it is the priests who were not at all pleased that John and Peter were preaching the gospel. In fact, it was the priests along with the chief priests who came and arrested Peter and John and put them in prison. Marita puts it this way, they didn't seem very ripe for the harvest back in chapter 4. They hated the apostles' message. They hated Jesus. Yet here, here, many accepted him and became obedient to the faith. What can we attribute that change to? Well, I think it's the same as we mentioned at the beginning. The Spirit of God working through the power of the preached Word of God to penetrate the hearts, some of the hardest hearts that they would have encountered. And in the process, these priests undoubtedly saw the way that the church cared for their widows, how they loved one another, and how that love was demonstrated in the way that they worked through the problem that they came across. And as a result, even some of Christ's most heated enemies bowed their knees before him and confessed him as Savior and Lord. What a beautiful look at what was occurring on the inside of the church. It leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning. It's this. Growing pains can become occasions for growth when priorities are safeguarded and ministry is shared. Growing pains can become occasions for growth when priorities are safeguarded and ministry is shared. Now, considering that, there's there's a direct way in which this passage applies to us here at Ivy Creek. To begin with, as we noted at the beginning, we have experienced tremendous growth. And just as that growth has necessitated for us to uh, construct new buildings and to expand our sanctuary and build the new three-story building that's going to be right behind us here, um, just as that has been necessitated by our growth, the, the pastors and staff and the deacons have recognized that it is necessary for us to expand our deacon body as well to accommodate our numerical growth. As as many of you know, we uh, we utilize a deacon family ministry plan here at Ivy Creek, and and what that means is that when a person or a family joins this church family, um, they're assigned a deacon. A deacon is assigned to them uh, as the be a primary point of contact for them for for pastoral ministries and and for help to to make sure that that we don't have things fall through the cracks. That doesn't mean that it never happens, but that's. The plan is that with our deacon body, we are able to accommodate being able to oversee and, and, and understand all that's happening with our, with our church family. And because of our growth, it's necessary, it's become necessary that we add deacons to ensure the care of our entire church membership and, rem- and that, it, that it remains manageable. So in the weeks to come, you're going to receive some information that's going to be mailed out to you. And it's going to be plans as we have experienced in the last two or three times that we've added deacons here. You'll be asked to select from among yourselves men who who will be able to serve in this capacity. And in doing so, they're going to serve the Lord and they're going to serve his church. So be on the lookout for that because that's going to be coming to you uh, in the mail. You'll get a letter about that in in the weeks to come. But let me also say that whether you are a pastor or whether you're a deacon or a layperson in the church, this, this passage still has direct application to you. You see, what we learn from this inside look at the church there in Jerusalem is that in the ministry, no one is called to do everything, but everyone is called to do something so that the gospel continues to go out and reach people for Christ. You see, as believers, our responsibility is not simply to just come on Sunday mornings and listen to a sermon It's not simply to sit in a Sunday school class and and hear a teacher teach. Our responsibility as believers is to participate in the mission of the church by reaching lost souls for Jesus. We want to see not just converts come to Christ. We want to see them, just as Matthew 28 tells us, we want to see them being made full-grown disciples in the body of Christ. Men, women, boys, and girls who have the same ability to go out and reach others for the cause of Christ. That happens when we make ourselves available. And then when we commit to allowing Christ to use us in the service of his church. As I said, no one is called to do everything. But everyone's called to do something so that the gospel message may continue to spread. What is necessary is that we remember that Jesus... Jesus is building his church. He is is calling out lost men, women, boys, and girls to faith and repentance in him. And as he does that, they continue to be added to the global church and they continue to be added to the local church that's the visible body of it here at Ivy Creek. And I want you to know, as his children, we are wonderfully privileged to be a part of his building campaign. And I pray that we will take advantage of every opportunity that he gives us to serve him and gives us to serve him gladly. And then finally, I will conclude with this. This passage is directly applicable to us in that if you are here and you have never trusted in Christ and you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, I want you to remember what we just studied. Because you are a part of a wonderful group of people. You are in in the confines of a beautiful expression of what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. Is it perfect? Not hardly. Are we experiencing growing pains? Absolutely. Absolutely. But are we continuing to devote ourselves to the teaching of God's Word and being able to express it in such a way that we are staying biblical and we're staying grounded and that we're desiring the Holy Spirit to use us? Yes, we are. And in that, then let me say, just like those priests, maybe you've been opposed to that which you have heard, maybe that which you've seen in the past. May I say to you that the Lord Jesus Christ stands before you with His arms open wide With love toward the unconverted and the sinner who has rejected him so many times, and says, If you will repent of your sins, if your hardened heart will be opened to the move of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you will confess those sins and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He will save you. He will give you life everlasting and full of joy. Will your life be perfect from this point forward? Not hardly. He never created us to live a perfect life here. We studied that last week. But He has gone to prepare a perfect place for us. And because that is the case, those who place their faith in Him will one day be able to be with Him there. In the meantime, trusting in the Lord Jesus and and confessing Him as Savior and Lord will allow you to become a part of this body of believers. And you will have brothers and sisters next to you who will pray for you and will love you And so I just want to invite you this morning, if you have never trusted in Christ to be your Lord and Savior, will today be the day? Would you trust in Him, believe in Him with all of your heart, repent of your sins, and make Him Lord of your life? Would you also become a member of one of those who are many who are being added to the multitude of those who are part of Christ's body? Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for the beauty of your word. And thank you for how it calls us to a commitment, calls us to understand that you are, our, you are our Savior and you are our Lord. Thank you for how it reminds us of the calling and the necessity of the preaching of the gospel, but how it also reminds us of the necessity of ministering to the congregation and the family and how that is a beautiful example of who you have called us to be as, as disciples of yours in this world. Now I pray that in this time of invitation and this opportunity for us to reflect on that truth, that your Holy Spirit will be given free freedom to move in and among us. Help us to understand and, and to uh, respond effectively and, and appropriately. I pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.